Reverend Andrew Collins. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm the scripture, and here we have a prayer. And our scripture today is going to be taken from Isaiah chapter 54, verses 14 through 17. It reads thus, A righteousness shall not be established, that shall be far from oppression, but thou shalt not fear, and from fear, from terror. For it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that blows the coals and the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waters, the waste for the beast to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of with the Lord. May God have a blessing. And here we can do it with all the word. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father God, I'm ready to come for you this morning, my Father. First, we just want to thank you, my Father. Because, my Father, you have looked beyond our fault and saw our needs. You have blessed us beyond measure, spiritually, physically, mentally, and financially. You have brought us to this point in time in our life, my Father. And we are here only because of you, my Father. So we pray, my Father, to open our hearts, open our minds, my Father, so we may receive what you have for us to receive from Dr. Chata, my Father. Father God Almighty, we use the things that we hear, use the things that we learn by those that you have sent to us to give it to us, my Father. So bless those, my Father, and bless this meeting, my Father. Let it be all that you want to be, and your daughter, son, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome to our Leadership Masterclass. I am delighted to be here. Uh, and delighted to see all of you here and all of you who are out there on Zoom. Uh, we have a very unique and a very, I, I believe, interesting uh, topic for you today. Uh, in light of the fact that this is Black History Month, um, and I call it American History Month, but we'll, we'll both, both terms, uh, share a presentation today that's part of my personal story uh, that's also relevant, in my judgment, to Black History Month. Uh, and the title is When I Met Martin Luther King. And we'll, we'll sort of start with that. Carl uh, uh, was a scholar many years ago, felt that there should be a month, a special month, for celebrating African American history and Black history. And so, after many years of politicking and, and going back and forth, they were able to get a law passed through Congress uh, to make this a Black History Month. As always, I like to start off with my beliefs, and we do this with every single master class. And you may ask yourself, well, how, how do you talk about your beliefs? Beliefs are the why that you do things. There's what, there's who, uh, and there's when. But many times, uh, it's important to know the why you do things. This, these are the whys that I do things. And I share this with you, suggesting you that at your leisure, that you have a conversation with the person in the mirror and say, why am I 
doing X, or why am I doing Y, or why am I C? My beliefs are, I believe life is about being of service to others. I believe it's important that all of us reach out and help other people. I believe knowledge is power, which is why we're doing these masterclass series, that the more you know, that the more you'll be able to do and contribute to others. And I believe leaders can change the world. Um, um, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you <laughs> look at your TV and say, why in the world is this happening or that happening? I would suggest to you change it. Do something. Um, to figure out what you can do, what are your skill sets, and put them to work uh, to help others. As always, this is part of our Masterclass series, and I'm very grateful to uh, uh, Pastor Dr. E. St. Stephen Missionary Baptist Church, to which I have been a member for 46 years, uh, to be able to provide uh, uh, this presenta these presentations to you. So we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about leadership. And I would say that leadership is going to be associated with one of the most famous leaders, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. As always, I like to put up an outline, and the purpose of the outline is to give you an idea of what I'm going to talk about, but more importantly, to let you know what I'm just about done. So we're going to talk about my mother a brief times, and I've, I've, I've mentioned her name before, Amanda. Uh, we're going to talk about Black History Month. Um, We'll talk about Black fathers, uh, because that's a part of our presentation today and part of what we're trying to get across. We're going we're gonna to mention the Civil Rights Act of 1964, arguably, in my opinion, the single most important Civil Rights Act passed uh, by the United States of America and signed by the President of the United States of America. Uh, and we'll talk about evidence of Baptist Church, some of you may be familiar with that. So, for a number of years now, we've been celebrating Black History Month uh, during the month of, of February. Some people joke and say, well, why is it celebrated during the shortest month of the year? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I just think, again, look at all the positive. I think it's good that it's celebrated. I'm, I'm not going to go with how many days in the month. That's, that's a different issue. And, and, and it can go from Frederick Douglass, who was an abolitionist many, many years ago, who felt very strongly that African-Americans should achieve, should achieve the ultimate scholarship. And some of you may remember that there was, that was a, a difference in philosophy between Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass. Um, um, uh, Frederick Douglass and, and, and W.E.B. Du Bois, rather, and Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington felt that uh, uh, Negroes, and I'll use the term affectionately, uh, that we, we Negroes just to be satisfied with where we are. We should be the best for whatever we're doing um, and should not try to get above, you know, where, in effect, God has, has given us. W.C. Du Bois uh, felt that uh, we should be doctors of lawyers and presidents of the United States, et cetera, et cetera, that we should always be striving for more. And so that was a legitimate argument, legitimate discussion within the African-American community about what should you do and not do. My journey, what I'm going to do, the take I'm going to put with this is to talk about my own personal life. Now, part of my life is, and I mentioned this before, I did not grow up with a father in the home. I, I grew up with a single, uh, single parent, my mother, uh, who was 17 years old when I was born. Uh, when I was born, she had been she had to drop out of high school 
Because when you're 17, uh, oh, if you're a girl, you get pregnant, you, you can't finish high school. There was no makeup, there was no remedial anything. So imagine, if you will, a 17-year-old girl who gets pregnant uh, as a child by herself. And just imagine what that must be like. So growing up, I, as I said, did not have a father, so I would make up fathers. I, I would create in my mind, if I had a father, what would he be like? And what, how would he act? And how would he treat me? And obviously the beauty is when you can create it, then you should make him in the way you want. So I did them. I did them. Uh, and uh, I concluded, and I'm, this is about the time I'm in high school there. Um, uh, I, had, I had decided on three men that I had heard about. Um, some I had met, some I had not. Uh, the first one was Martin Luther King. And, and I'm sure a lot of people my age uh, in the 60s considered him like a father figure or, or would like their father to be like Martin Luther King. The second was a person that I named Dr. Isaac Miller. Dr. Miller was a professor of, professor of biochemistry. When I was in high school, I got the opportunity to study at Tennessee State just in the summer. Um, and that was when I met Dr. Miller. I was very impressed. Um, I, and let me parenthetically say um, that if you are a student in school, in junior high or high school, summer is not vacation time. Summer is not vacation time. You're supposed to do extra academic work in the summer. Use the summertime to either catch up or get ahead. But summer is not alone to be vacation time. Uh, and the third person was Dr. John Lewis Powell. Uh, he was a pastor at my church when I graduated from high school and, and, and joined church and college. What was very interesting about these three men, and they didn't know each other, um, uh, was uh, I found out that they all belonged to an organization called Alpha Phi Alpha. Now, I didn't know what that meant. Uh, uh, and Alpha Phi Alpha is a fraternity. I didn't know what a fraternity was. One of the people that was most influential in my life, other than my mother um, and some of the school teachers, was my social worker. I was assigned a social worker by the name of Juanita Wall. Um, and she was like a surrogate mother for me. Um, and so I would ask her, I said, well, what, what does this mean? Uh, what was also unique about um, uh, Ms. Walker was she'd gone to college. No in my sort of operation um, um, at home or at church or whatever. Um, had ever gone to college. So I never got to talk to college people. I didn't know what that was like. But she, she explained to me, she said, well, you know, there are a group of people, there are men that are called uh, fraternities and women are called sororities, and they're social service people, and they, they help folks, and blah, 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 blah. But what I started to understand was, while I was in high school, these individuals uh, were helping me. Uh, they, would, they, they, would, they would give me uh, a $50 scholarship. They would um, buy clothes for me. And I would say, I, I don't know them. I, I don't understand. And she says, well, these are just things that they do. So I said, okay, all right. I, I, I sort of let it go with that. The other thing that was very unique about these three men uh, was they all had doctor degrees. Uh, now, my mother had already told me at age five or so uh, that she wanted me to be a doctor. So that, that was a given. Uh, and that wasn't anything that I really thought about. 
So, so I'm just trying to set this up in terms of where we're going. So I, I have a mother who is my father and mother, and then I created um, um, uh, fictitious fathers for me, or dream fathers for me. And what I found out, ironically, was they all belong to the same fraternity. Didn't know what that meant, but I just sort of put that in the back of my head. This fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, was formed in 1906. And, and fraternities and sororities are only formed in colleges. Okay. And so I said, 1906? You mean to tell me there were black men at college in 1906? I said, I didn't know that. Because there were only white colleges in 1906. And keep in mind, during my early years, we were barred, at least I thought, from attending uh, predominantly white schools. But what it told me was, and this organization was formed at Cornell University, which is a Ivy school. So, you know, I, it, it was just confusing to me, but I, I thought it was interesting. So, to to make a lot of this sort of make sense, I put in my timeline of, of, of high school, college, medical school, along with what we're going to talk about, I mean, civil rights movement. So one of the ways of looking, we're talking about, this is American history. This is American history. One of my favorite subjects in high school, even though I was considering myself a scientist and on my way to medical school, was I, I love American history. I still do. I still do. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1965. Okay, I started Tennessee State University uh, in Nashville in 1965, and I graduated from Tennessee State in 1969. I then started Yale Medical School in '69, and I graduated from Yale Medical School in 1970. So it gives you a time frame in terms of where I was and what I was doing, and so. Keep those, those numbers in mind as we walk through the rest of this presentation this morning. What was going on in the country in the early 60s? <laughs> so to you who are uh, uh, Gen Zs and, and, and Generation Xs, talk to your parents about this, because a lot of this will make a lot of sense. But those of you who are baby boomers, you know what I'm talking about, because you're going to do just as much as I did, okay? I can remember in 1960, there was a lot of buzz about this new guy who was running for president. And his name was John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And people were all excited, at least in the African-American community, where I, where I spent all my time in Nashville, about, oh, he's, he's, he's more liberal, and he believes in equal equality. And, 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 and the African-American community was just very, 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 very excited. And the other thing is that John Kennedy, to some extent, was, was, was controversial in, in my community, not among African-Americans that much, but among the white members in Nashville. Uh, believe it or not, is because their biggest fear was, oh my God, he was Catholic. And they said, we have never had a Catholic president of this country, and what does that mean? Does that mean that the Pope is going to run the country, blah, blah, blah? You know, it's just a lot of silliness. And my point is that when you are afraid of something, you think of silly stuff, you know? It's just, it's just normal. Yeah, normal to think of that. 
And needless to say, John Kennedy was one of the most um, um, famous presidents that we ever had. Um, and his being Catholic or not Catholic really didn't matter. But as you all know, he was assassinated in 1963, Dallas, Texas, riding in an open uh, limousine. <clears throat> also in the early 60s, there was a person named Medgar Evans, who was president of the National Association of Colored People, uh, NAACP, uh, uh, in Mississippi, who was also assassinated. And fast forward from 1963, also in 1963, uh, that was when there was a march on Washington. Remember that. This is the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King. 1963. These things are very, very closely related timelines. One of the things about the Martin Luther King speech was it was done in preparation uh, to help to get the president at the time, Lyndon Johnson. Now, Lyndon Johnson was president because Kennedy had been assassinated, Lyndon Johnson was vice president, and so ultimately, uh, automatically moved up to become president. So all this was happening that Sunday. This is in the early 60s, between 60 and 65 that year. I'm in, I'm in junior high and high school about this time. When Martin Luther King gave his speech, his I Have a Dream speech, they stopped class in my house. I was in 10th grade, yeah, 10th grade, uh, 10th, 11th grade, and they huddled us all in the cafeteria to watch this big black and white well, actually, it was a little black and white too. <laughs> <laughs> it was not big with the rabbit ear. Some, some, some of you, David, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you gents seem to have a clue what a rabbit ear is. <laughs> uh, but that's a talk to your parents and grandparents. And, and we watched we were all just so impressed and, and elevated and oh my God, they, you know, things are getting better and better. And at that speech, Martin Luther King stood behind Lyndon Bain Johnson. That's him sitting at the desk. And you notice all the pens. Uh, on his table. This is a tradition that continues to this day. When the President of the United States signs a bill, he, he uses a pen per letter. And that's why he has so many pens on his desk. And then he takes those pens after he signed the bill and he turns around and he gives it to someone or some individuals who he believes uh, have been instrumental in getting the bill passed. And here you see him in 1964. Uh, after he had signed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, he gives this to Martin Luther King. Real quick, American history. I believe, as do some others, that the Civil Rights Act is probably the most important piece of legislation uh, in this country. Again, I'm in high school around this time now. Uh, and the reason is that it has four components. One is it allowed folks of color to vote, to vote. Uh, and believe it or not, we were not allowed to vote, and they would do things like they would have literacy tests. And keep in mind, uh, most people, particularly African-American in the Deep South, did not go to school. They certainly didn't go to college. Uh, and so they couldn't pass literacy tests. Uh, and it was just a stumbling block. It was just a way to block folks from voting. Why? Because in a democracy, the power is in the votes. So my point very simple is, if you don't do anything, 
Go out and vote, or vote online, or vote in a drop box. The other thing was, yeah, we compared uh, desegregation accommodation. And when I was growing up, um, if I went to a hotel, I, I, well, number one, I couldn't go to certain hotels. Uh, number two, I couldn't use certain public bathrooms. I had to go to the bathroom that said color, you know, because the others were reserved for white folks. Uh, and, and you couldn't use certain, you know, you couldn't go to certain movie theaters and on and on and on. This is just a way of life. And this was all that we knew. Um, and probably the most dramatic, and you may be familiar with this, is uh, the schools were not integrated. Uh, that was this whole thing called Preston versus Ferguson. It says separate is equal. Well, what we know then and what we know now is separate is never equal. That's why it's separate. <laughs> it's not equal. So, so, uh, so one of the things that I grew up remembering and, and that my teachers at school taught all of us is that you want the best of the best. The best of the best. Not to be diverted to the right and to the left, but keep your eye on the prize and go to the best of the best. And to me, that was an ivory cult. That, that was my understanding of what the best was. So that was my quest. I guarantee you I was not the smartest kid in my class in high school or in junior high school. When I graduated from high school, um, I, I had a, a maybe a 3.2 or 3.3 average, the average. I'm not a good student, but I wasn't smart. I didn't have the highest GPA, nor did I have the highest GPA in college. Um, I, so my point very simply is you don't have, you don't have to earn. You just have to work hard. You have to work hard, you got to know what you want, and go work. So, I decided, uh, again, I started uh, Tennessee State in 1965, uh, the summer of 1965, um, and I pledged out fraternity in 1967, two years later, because my first year to be a sophomore to pledge. Uh, so I pledged the fraternity two, year, uh, two years later. Uh, and the first year that um, end up being a member of the fraternity, you're called Little Brother. The Tick Brothers and the Little Brothers. I was a Little Brother Choctaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little Brother Choctaw. So, so, so now let's fast forward. I, I pledged in 19. Uh, six and seven. So this is around about time of spring break, um, uh, around about March of six and seven. And so the brothers said, you know what? Let's take a road trip in spring. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, jump on a plane and fly to Mexico <laughs> or, or, or they, they go to the Bahamas. Uh, say, let's go to Miami. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, so we all got one of the brothers' little Mustang. And it's got, I mean, some of you remember what those little Mustangs look like. There were five of us in a little Mustang in this little car. And we, we went to Atlanta. Uh, and it's made it just a social life. I've never been to Atlanta in my life. Uh, but I was a little brother. And, you know, you sort of do what the big brothers say because they're big brothers. I mean, that's just, just the way it is. Uh, so we all went. That first night that we went around, this is Saturday, uh, 
Uh, some of the brothers went out and, you know, socialized, whatever, and a couple of us stayed, stayed in the room, and I was one of the folks that stayed in the room. But when the police came back, uh, they said, guess who we saw tonight? And we said, who? And they said, we saw Martin and Correll. And we said, ah, oh, come on, come on. <laughs> they said, no, 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 we saw them, we saw them. And at that point, I said to them, I said, I really need to go to this church. I said, if, if he's in town, I, I, I need to go to this church. I said, you don't understand. I can't explain it. But I, I just need to see him closer. I need to get closer to him. And so we all talk about it. And it's cool. See, I'm well. So the five of us decided to go to Martin, go to Martin King's church. The next one, this is Sunday morning. Uh, and I said, we got to get there early. <laughs> I, I, as you can tell, I, I still do that to this day. Uh, I like to get there early just to sit and watch as the people come in, blah, 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 you know, because I don't want to be late. So, so we all went, and we went to Ebenezer Baptist Church, Atlanta, Georgia. Now, a couple of things. History, American history. Ebenezer Baptist Church is not Martin Luther King's church. I mean, it's church he joined. Right. But it's his father's church. Mm -hmm. This is Daddy King's church. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a whole different story. I clergy, that read about Martin Luther King's father. And that would give you an idea about why Martin Luther King did the things he did. For instance, one of the things when Martin Luther King graduated from Morehouse College with his bachelor's, uh, um, and his daddy said, you know, I, I, I want you to go and get a, a, another another um, um, professional degree. And I want that degree to be from a predominant white college. He sent him to Boston University. And that was where Martin Luther King got his doctorate, Boston University. Um, and so I regret. So everything, this is what it looks like. Uh, can anybody tell me, this is just, just for free. Who's the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church now? Please, uh, no. 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 He's a sinner. There you go. Raphael Warnock. He's the first African-American senator from the state of Georgia since Reconstruction. Since Reconstruction. Not to mention the fact that he's also an alpha man, but I, 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 I digress, I digress. But my good point. So, so my point is, everything's is still there. Martin Luther King's church is in Alabama. Right, the And you know, for Spender, Rosa Party, the Barton Board, but he was visiting that church and the weekend that the fraternity brothers and myself have to be in Okay, uh, tell me God does not make things happen, Reese. Okay, so we went to this church, and I'm, I'm just on pins and needles. I, I can't speak because I'm just so awestruck and everything. And I'm sitting in the church, and all of us sit together, of course. Um, and we're sitting about the middle of the church. And it's a good sized church, as you can tell from looking. Um, and all of a sudden, um, uh, Martin Luther King comes out. I have so with a little water. Um, very quiet, little just my and sits. Now <laughs> he sat in something called a pulpit. Now for you young people, a pulpit is is an elevation, what we call it a stage. 
They had chairs on it, but Melissa sat on doing the entire service. Amen. Now, a lot of churches don't have that now, ladies. But, but so, so Martin King came and he sat in the pulpit and used there three or four chairs. Not a lot, just three or four uh, and I was I, I focused on him the whole time. I watched every movie, man. Every movie. I didn't know I didn't know the same thought. And so about 15, 20 minutes or so, other people came out, including uh his father, I don't know, you can call him Daddy King, came out and you know they went through the service. Martin King did not give the, the speech, I uh, the, the sermon, his father there. Uh, so at the end of the sermon. Uh, you know, people are getting up and going around, whatever. And so, uh, you know, we're all together. And so, brother, big brother Vincent uh, in our group says, Let's. And I said, Okay. <laughs> and so, the five of us went to the, the bottom of the pulpit, and the service is over now. And so, we walked up the steps and sort of stand around. Uh, it struck me as. He must have been a tall guy. He's maybe about five, six. Whatever. I just thought that was interesting. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so we were standing around him, and I'm not talking. I, I can't see. Uh, I, you know, Big Brother does this thing, stuff like, uh, Brother King, we're uh, uh, brothers from Big Omicron Chapter of Tennessee State University. Blah, 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 down here on spring break. And he said, oh, and I want to introduce you to Little Brother Talk uh, and he turned and he looked at me and he sort of smiled. Uh, all right, all right, all right. And he said, and, uh, okay, just smiled. Uh, I shook his hand and I didn't wash my hands for at least a month. <laughs> but anyway, so we came back to campus, whatever. And so after that, we, this is, six, this is, uh, uh, we're now in 68. Um, um, and so the spring break is in 68 when we went. And so then, um, we heard that he was invited to speak at Vanderbilt University, which is a very, very large, um, very famous um, uh, university in Nashville, Tennessee, predominantly white. And so, of course, we all went over to see to hear to listen to his speech. And so, um, we, we, and it was an excellent speech. We were, we were up in the rafters. Uh, it's quite Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, but it, it was just extraordinary. The speech was extraordinary. And it was just vintage Martin Luther King. After that, not too long, maybe about a week or two after that, Martin Luther King was assassinated. This is uh, April 68. And the country basically exploded. Uh, there were demonstrations slash riots all over the place. Most college campuses, particularly the predominantly uh, African-American college campuses, just erupted, including my campus, Tennessee State. Uh, and so, the what was interesting, uh, and this is where the, the, the story takes a, a very unique turn here, 
Um, my council is completely locked out. This is a picture of the administration building at Tennessee State. Um, um, uh, every, every time I, I, I see this picture, I think of my wife. Um, I, I, we, we went to visit um, um, a Tennessee some years ago. She took a picture of this building, uh, and I have it hanging in my office at home um, uh, at the present time. But anyway, so riots broke out everywhere. They broke out on my campus, and the National Guard was called out, and the National Guard was preventing the American community. On the campus, and I, I was on six or seventh floor in my dorm, and I could look out my window in the parking lot, and it's with National Guard people with rifles lying in the parking lot of my campus. Uh, and so we, you know, obviously classes were suspended. The dean of students, Dr. Joseph Arthur Payne Jr. He was very elegant, uh, man, dressed as impeccably. We we all liked him, and we liked the way he spoke. Um, he summoned me to his office and he said, Mr. Chalkowski, back then, um, they called him Mr. Business on campus. And Mr. Chalkowski, um, um, I, I, we, we, we need you to go with us to go to come to a meeting with us. And I said, Me, he said, we need you to come with us to a meeting at downtown Nashville <laughs> to meet with the uh, the mayor and council people and the leaders downtown Nashville because we need somebody to represent the student body. And I said, um, Dr. Payne, I, I am not student council president. I And he said, I understand that, Mr. Chalkjaw. He said, but the student council president resigned. Immediately, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, he quit. He said, I am done with this. I am done with it. I will not do blah, 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 blah. I had been elected student council president at that wow. I was scheduled to take, I was a junior. I was scheduled to take office my senior year. So I, I said, oh, I, I, nobody. And, and, and in effect, Dr. Faith said, uh, Mr. Chalkton, you're it. We need you. And I said, okay. So we went to the meeting. And one could tell that the professors were very nervous on the same uh, Not just little persons. Look at the Chalkton. Look at all these guys. And so we went, because I understood the gravity, I understood what he was telling me. And, you know, and, and what he said was, it makes sense. He said, they need to be reassured that the students at this college are not going to remain crazy. They need to be reassured that they can withdraw these National Guards uh, and their tanks and not worry that something bad is going to happen. And they need to hear from a student leader. They won't believe the professors because they don't think we know what we're talking. They need to hear from one of you guys. Um, and so I, I went to the meeting and it's, you know, since uh, I said nothing uh, until asked. And uh, Dr. Payne in his elegant way made the case, you know, just, just very, very elegant. Um, and so after the, 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 uh, the folks in downtown Nashville started asking questions, what about this, what about that? So then they turned to me 
And in essence, said, can you assure us that your students are going to go back to studying and you guys are going to be just those men? And I said, yes, sir. So you got to understand, you, you, you say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. Yeah, you don't say yes and no. Mm -hmm. that, that's, a, that's a different. That's a different presentation. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so then they said, okay, all right. They they sent us back to campus. They did withdraw the National Guard in Chengdu, the guys with the guns and all that sort of stuff. And the the administration, the the, the leaders, uh, the president, vice president, and Dr. Payne, they did what they need to do, and everything was everything was better. So that was another way that I was impacted by this whole thing in 1968. I had no idea about that. I said, I, you know, that has nothing to do with me. But it, it just goes to show you never know. You are not in charge of this stuff. We are all actors on stage. And we don't control the program. We don't, we don't write the script. We are not the directors and the producers. We are actors or people on a stage. Um, and as we always say, God is in charge. Moving on, the men of Alpha, uh, around about um, 2010 and 2011, decided, you know what, there should be a monument for our trying to develop. Uh, that this country should recognize how great this man was and the people who helped him. Um, and so it took them 15 years, one five, 15 years, to get the Martin Luther King Memorial Monument uh, done and approved. Uh, and it is presently in Washington, D.C. now. So if you ever visit Washington, D.C., I would encourage you uh, to go to the Martin Luther King Monument. Um, and uh, it is the only monument for a non-military person in Washington, D.C. Uh, it is the only monument for a non-president who was a military person in Washington, D.C. But the men of Alpha did it. And just another example of uh, the, the power and the glory of, of, of when God is in charge. Let me hasten to add that from a, an American history point of view, um, there are basically four African-American attorneys and basically four African-American civilians. So Alpha is not the only one. Alpha is not the only one. In this church, you know, I, I sit every Sunday next to, uh, you know, brother uh, uh, who's retired from the LAPD, uh, who's Captain Alpha side, tease each other all, all the time. Yes, and so whatever I say, what are you? Oh, let me wear that great stuff again, you know. Whatever. Uh, Brother Nichols, uh, who is uh, a church photographer, is he made us our farm? And we tease each other. Uh, you know, when, when Omega celebrated their, their founders, they I congratulate you. So my point is that we're with that's a brotherhood within the brotherhood. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, and this is how we get stronger and better. Uh, I was sharing with, uh, with Margaret earlier how I had learned so much, like from podcasting and being in the men's Sunday school class. True story. In my adult, I am 76 years old. In my adult life, I have, and this is my, say, graduated from high school, I have never consistently been in a predominantly black uh, male group. Uh, in my life until the men's Sunday school class. Yeah, she used to be a nice Sunday school class. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 
Right, right, right. Uh, but I have never done So my point is that just being in a predominant, in a predominant men's African-American class is, is, is unique to me. Over 50 years. I graduated from medical school 50 years ago. Okay, 73. So, so we continue to grow. That's what I'm trying to say. We continue to grow. It doesn't stop. We continue to grow. Okay. Almost done. Almost done. Back in, you know, uh, not too long ago, about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, there was another big buzz going around about this tall, skinny kid from Chicago with a funny name. Okay. And uh, he had. Uh, and you notice he bought a book called Drink for My Father, which so like me, he also had father issues, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so he was he was dealing with a lot of them. So we're with broken fossil homes and or, or whatever you can deal with. But anyway, he was interested in politics, leadership and politics. And he ended up uh, uh, running uh, in Chicago, uh, ran against other African Americans and lost visually, just just beating like a drum, but kept trying, kept trying, one time, two times, I think, and then uh, I think the second or third time, finally won that little district thing, and then used that to then get to the Senate um, in Washington, D.C. He decided that he wanted to run for president. Now, you got to understand what the challenge of that is, not to mention the basic challenges of him looking the way he looks, but his name is Barack Hussein Obama. Think about that. Barack Hussein Obama. Who in the world would run for president post 9-11 with that kind of name? Right? That's my point. My point is there will always be obstacles. There will always be stumbling blocks. There will always be resistance. So what? So what? If you really want to do it, you go for it. So, this guy, I, I started watching. Started watching. So, this is interesting. This, I'm still wondering what this means. So when he um, decided to run for president and he was nominated, while he was going through the process of trying to be nominated by the credit party, I said, you know what? I, I, I like <laughs> I come here. I said, but you got to prove to me you're the real deal. Right? And I said, my proof is you got to win an election in a predominantly white state by a reasonable majority. Okay, I said, if you can do that, then I'm with If not, you know, I'm going to stand on the sidelines, I'll wave at you and, and wish you well, but I, I'm, I'm not going to get I'm not going He did prove that. He won the Iowa caucus. I was about 90 plus percent Caucasian, right? I said, okay, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> And so we, we followed him on and on and on and on and on. Uh, when I say we, I'm talking about my best friend who's sitting in the chat. So we've been very him. So Jan, uh, November, 
Um, the military is in control of everything. Uh, and we got to see him pull stuff on the parades. And you could, we have a map of the parades, so we would run to the place where the parades are be and sit and wait for Michelle and Barack to come and the kids and all that sort of stuff. And Barack was also determined, keep in mind, this man gets probably 100 to 1,000 death threats per day. Think about that. Think about that. Uh, uh, well, on the ends, uh, in mail, uh, all the all the things, all the things, and so he's determined he's going to get out of his car, walk down the street, yeah, in your face, that's the point is that threats and resistance is based on fear. If you are afraid, if you're not afraid, it does out. Now, yeah, bad things happen. I'm not saying, you know, we just went through a lot of bad things that happened, obviously. But so what? So what? Um, and basically, that was sort of what Obama said. So what? And so, needless to say, um, the, the rest is the rest is history. Two two terms, eight years, full family in the White House, including mother, no problems, no scandals, major legislation. One of the most important pieces of legislation that I talk about all the time is the Affordable Care Act. Oh, right. Yeah. Wait, the Oh, you talked about Obamacare? Yes, yes, I did. And, and the, the important thing about Obamacare, particularly for those of us in the healthcare field, well, it's another thing. But one of the things is that it forced all hospitals and all doctors' offices to come to the Have without without an edict from the federal government. It wouldn't have happened without a threat saying, you know what, if you don't computerize by X Y Z day, we're going to start sending stocks and new Medicare patients. Mm. Most hospitals and doctors' offices could not survive mm. without Medicare and Medicare patients. Mm. Because the government figured out that it pays the money. Mm. It the money. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, so as a result, and so that was one of the big things about Obamacare. Second big thing about Obamacare is sort of level of playing field. Um, in this country, the biggest cause of bankruptcy is people getting sick. Mm -hmm. The only civilized country in the world that has that. Europe doesn't have it. Uh, England doesn't have it. Canada doesn't have it. You know, the Asian countries don't have it because they have a centralized type of medicine, right? Here is fiber for the most part. Now, we have Medicare, Medicare, but a large problem is fiber. If you have money, you can afford this. If you don't have money, you can't afford it, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So, huge point. Uh, about uh, the health care. Um, and, and the other thing that we're going to talk about a couple of weeks from now is the increased uh, patient rights, things like uh, advanced directions, meaning that I, I may be your doctor and I have a duty to inform you about what you need to have done to you, to, um, say, operation. But you as a patient have a right to refuse. You know that person even though it's operation you know, in need. Even though it's operation in need. It's your right. That's right. So thank you, Dr. Shaw. You're a nice guy, and I like you, and I like all that stuff that you've done, but I don't think so. Not. I, I just don't know. 
I, I choose not to do it. Um, and so, so it, it had tremendous uh, fundamental effect. So, winding down, God is in charge. These are my basic principles. I start off with my beliefs and I end up with my basic principles. Uh, God is in charge of my life and has been. And if you do not know uh, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I invite you or encourage you to seek out his guidance and, and, and to follow his teachings. Uh, no bad days. I do not have bad days. I've said it before. And I figured out about 30 years ago uh, that the uh, um, days are only good or bad if I said they were. So uh, I, I don't have bad days. Don't sweat the small stuff, and most stuff is small. Uh, you will find the things that you worry about and agonize over usually are insignificant. Um, and most of the time, you have control over that, and so you can stop it. Forgiveness is therapy. When someone does or says something to you that you think is negative or you interpret as negative, forgive them immediately. Don't try to look at the facts. Just just, just go ahead and do it. And fifth principle uh, is everything is a relationship. Everything, everything, everything is a relationship. Relationships are based on three things. Mutual respect, mutual trust, good communication. If you have those three things, you have a good relationship. If you do not, then you have worked. The history continues. Uh, where would you be in this line of leadership? What would you do? I suggest to you to have a conversation with the person in the mirror. And you decide uh, what, what's best for you. But the struggle continues. The legacy continues. I suggest to you, have a conversation with the person in the mirror and say, well, what is my legacy? Well, what, what am I going uh, what, 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 what to do to make things just a little bit better? We all have that privilege. We all have that right. We all have that opportunity. And it includes, if you and I completely happy with the way the world is, you be the change that you want to see in the world. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD. Be sure to check out other great episodes covering areas of health, wealth, and wisdom at thwwp.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the books, blogs, and other literature in your preferred format. And don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, share, and support the podcast. That's at thwwp.com. You've been listening to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD.